My name is Zach Fairchild. I'm a member here at Grace, and if you don't know me already, you may at least recognize me from about seven weeks ago, where I gave a sermon online for about half an hour to an audience of just two in front of me at the time. So there's a lot more in that here right now, so I apologize in advance for all the mistakes I'm going to make that we can't just like edit out this time around. <laughs> but first, let me just thank all of you for coming. Seriously, I wanted to take a quick moment this morning to acknowledge every person here and those who are watching online. It takes a lot of time and effort just to like make it out on a Sunday morning, and I want to thank you for putting that time and effort in. It also is not just as easy as plopping down on the couch to watch a show, to schedule you know, time to watch a whole sermon, and actually be paying attention to it. So specifically, thank you for giving this online as well. It, it really means a lot um, to all of us here who actually do this on Sunday morning, and I hope that you're you know, getting something out of it too. Um, you know, I realized kind of as I was just walking up here that we all have one thing in common today, which is that nobody really knows what I'm going to say this morning. <laughs> so I don't have like a portable mic, but if we could just pass one around and then everyone tells me their thoughts on today's topic, then I think that'll work. Okay, I'm just gonna <laughs> but let's let's pause for a second. Oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> let's try this again. Uh, let's start out with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this Sunday morning that we get to spend together worshiping you, learning about you and how to live better for you, and strengthening each other through community. Thank you as well for this long weekend where we specifically remember to be thankful. And we want to take a moment here to purposefully know who we should be giving thanks to. And that's you, Lord. You have given us every good and perfect thing because you are holy, loving, and gracious. And we thank you and praise you for that. Speak through me today, Lord, so that we can learn a bit more about how to live for you and how to pray to you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, that's a pretty easy way to get an example, isn't it? <clears throat> if you're talking about prayer and you just pray, then voila. <laughs> if you haven't fallen asleep quite yet, you may have noticed that I ended my prayer with the phrase, In Jesus' name we pray. I mean, it's nothing out of the ordinary. I myself have heard it, I don't know, probably a thousand times over my life, specifically at the end of prayers. I mean, so much so that it seems kind of just like, I don't know, a standard ending, something that you sign at the bottom of a letter or an email, like, sincerely, Zach, lots of love, Zach. I mean, even those phrases, if you think about it for a second, they have a lot packed into them. This one does too. So what does this oft-used phrase, in Jesus' name we pray, actually mean? I mean, surely it's more than just a rubber stamp that we put on the end of our prayers. Sure. I'll be honest here. Back when I was asked to give a second sermon, 
which, side note, was very brave of Brian to ask me to do because I hadn't actually gave the first one yet, so <laughs> there you go. This topic uh, captured my thoughts because I didn't know the answer. And at that moment, I kind of realized that this phrase had just become kind of some prayers. So this sermon is as much for me as it is for everyone else because I legitimately want to know what I'm actually saying and what its implications are. First, let's clear up a common and kind of dangerous misconception about the phrase. It is not a magic formula to get you whatever you feel like from a prayer. I've seen and heard plenty of people often preaching a type of, I don't know, prosperity gospel, uh, who go right to John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, as their only reference for this. So, let's read it. <clears throat> and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. Okay, well, sure. I mean, if you go ahead and pluck a very specific verse or two out of the Bible, you can make it fit a lot of different scenarios. And based on just this brief clip, do you want to be rich? Ask God for a million dollars in his name. Do you want to sail around the Caribbean on a yacht? You got it. Ask Jesus in his name. Do you just want, you know, some sun on Friday because you have it off and you want to laze around and soak up some rain? Sure, why not? Ask for it in Jesus' name. I will do whatever you ask in my name certainly sounds clear enough on the surface. But if you pause for a moment and think about it with everything else that you know about Jesus, who said this, and the way that God works, then you'll realize that we need some extra context here to actually uh, figure out what this means. That context isn't very far away either. The previous few verses explain that the disciples are troubled that Jesus will be leaving them soon, and Jesus is comforting them. He explains that he's going to the Father in heaven to prepare a place for his disciples and that they will come after him in time. In verse 12, just the prior verse of these two, Jesus makes the statement that whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. So let's use this context with the next two verses. The works that Jesus did were all done to glorify the Father. Nothing was done out of selfish ambition or for personal gain. His prayers, what he asked God for and how he conversed with him, were the same. Their end goal was entirely to glorify God. So if we really believe in Jesus, then we will do the same as Jesus in all our actions and prayers. We will pray in a way that will glorify God. So if we're truly living as Jesus, our prayers will be the same as his. Okay, let's look at the phrase from another angle. What is a name? Well, it's a word, or sometimes a group of words, that we use to address someone or something. But buried beneath an easy identifier lies a treasure trove of information that's different for everyone who uses a specific person's name. Let me give you an example. Suppose I'm chatting with you, and I tell you that I was at the grocery store the other day and I saw someone I knew. Well, you might think, it's not every day you hear a crazy story like this. So you asked me who this mystery person was. And as happens from time to time, my mind goes blank, and I forget their name. 
But I do want to be able to answer your question and to tell you who it was. So, without a name to tell you, I start describing the person. I might say, well, he's about my height, maybe an inch shorter or something. He's got dark hair, usually has a beard. He's kind of got a thing for Volkswagens. Uh, he loves running, he plays hockey, he really enjoys camping and going on adventures, especially with his family. Okay, his family, well there's a pretty good identifier. He has two young daughters, he's married to Jen, and okay, by this point, if you know him at all, you'll probably say, oh, you saw Zach Wilkes. So a name isn't just a shorthand that we use to describe someone. It's a repository of information. And the more you know about someone, the more meaningful and powerful their name becomes. <laughs> the incredibly comforting piece here is that when you think about who knows you the best, who your name means the most to, it's not your boss at work, it's not your best friend, it's not your siblings, it's not your parents, it's not even you, it's God. The first two-thirds of Psalm 139 show this. Starting in verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. David goes on to say that God has, or that God knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to say. He knows his life beyond his beginning. He knows that he can never escape God and God's love for him. God knows literally everything about you. So when God uses your name, it has the most meaning and power that it can possibly have. So tangent point here, be listening to God if he speaks to you and addresses you. When he does, it's important. Despite God knowing everything about every one of us, we as humans simply can't do the same. We will never be able to know everything even about one other person, let alone everyone else. That's okay. It's part of the distinction that makes God, God. But one thing we can do is work on getting to know others, and especially Jesus and God. The more that I can tell you about Zach Wilkes, for instance, is kind of a measure of how much I care for him. It's not a one-to-one -one ratio, of course, but to know someone very, very well, you need to put in a lot of time and effort into it. Those are both finite resources that you have, and where you spend them is also where your heart is. And the more you know about someone, the more powerful their name is for you. Thus, the more time and effort you put into getting to know Jesus and God through reading your Bible, praying, worshiping, fellowship, fellowshipping with other Christians, etc., the better that you'll be able to emulate Jesus and hence, pray in his name. The next question we need to answer is, what does it mean to say or ask something in someone else's name? Quite simply, you are invoking the power and authority of that whole person for your request or command. If someone were to burst in the back doors there right now and yell out, everyone needs to leave the auditorium right now, your gut reaction would probably be to try and identify the person, to figure out who they are. And if you look at them and they're just, you know, somebody in 
regular clothes, so who you've never seen before, uh, you'd probably be a lot more hesitant to just do what they say than if you saw that they were, say, a firefighter decked out in all their gear. However, if you saw that same regular person in regular clothes, and they said this time, by order of the fire chief, everyone needs to leave the auditorium right now, then you would most likely at least be a little more inclined to do as they say, since instinctively you know that a fire chief has more authority, especially in context, than a random person. When you command or ask for something in someone else's name, you are making this request with the same level of authority that someone else has. The thing is, though, the person you are making the request to still has to validate that authority before they will fulfill the request. Another example, say I'm outside doing some lawn work and somebody I've never seen comes up to me and says, may I borrow your lawnmower? My first reaction is probably gonna be, uh, hi, I'm Zach, I don't think we've met before. Maybe the person will reply with, oh, hi Zach, I'm Greg. Your neighbor, Adam, sent me over to borrow your lawnmower. His is broken. I, knowing Adam very well, might reply with, oh, gotcha, nice to meet you, Greg. How do you know Adam? Greg could say, well, he and I work at the university together. I've known him ever since he moved here from the States. And at this point, I'm thinking that something strange is taking place here because I know Adam and he doesn't work at the university. He hasn't moved here from the States. So without formally going through the whole process, when Greg asked me to borrow my lawnmower in Adam's name, I validated his authority to make sure this request was good before fulfilling it. So when invoking Jesus' authority in a prayer, be certain that Jesus allows you to use his authority for what you are requesting. Don't let a fate similar to what Jesus describes in Matthew 7, verses 22 to 23, befall you or your request. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and did and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. If Jesus doesn't know you, he's not going to authorize your requests that you make in his name. Make sure that you actually know Jesus then, as we were saying even previously today, knowing him is very important. I was talking about this whole subject of praying in Jesus' name with my small group the other week, and I really liked how my friend John Greenmeyer was able to sum everything up so succinctly. He said that to actually pray in Jesus' name is to pray as a true Christian. So let's get this phrase a bit more context too, so that we're all on the same page as to what I mean when I talk about a Christian. We need to back up here to get the full picture. So back at the very beginning, uh, God created the world. He created the universe. He created everything in it, including humans. And at the time, it was all perfect. There was no sin. But not that long into existence, humans sinned. And from that point on, 
they could not have the same relationship with God. We were broken and fallen and separated from God. But remember how God knows us? He knows us so well. He also loves us. He loves us with an infinite amount of love, and he wants to be with us. That's why he made us in the first place, after all. So, he made a way for us to be cleansed of sin. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross as payment for our sins. Since Jesus is sinless and perfect, he was able to pay for all of our sins with his death. He made the payment once and for all for us. And since he's also God, he conquered death and rose from the grave to be living once more and be with his Father again. Even right now, he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. It's the greatest amount of love, mercy, and grace that can ever be shown, and it's for us. If we simply accept um, Jesus' gift of paying for our sins, then we may enter God's presence again as we are cleansed and made holy. This entire process, if you really understand it, should make you the most grateful that you can ever be. And it will make you want to live for Christ. And to live for Christ is to live as Christ did, or to be a little Christ, a Christian. So when I tell you that to pray in Jesus' name is to pray as a Christian, what I'm saying is that it is actually to pray as Jesus himself would. We even noted this back near the beginning this morning. It is to have your prayers aligned with his. It is to pray in a way that glorifies God. It is not to selfishly ask for personal gain, but instead to ask for anything that will glorify the Father. Asking for millions of dollars in Jesus' name, not glorifying to God. But asking for courage and the right words to witness to your neighbor, certainly is. Really, asking for anything out of love is good. Say, Lord, my daughter has a cold. I love her and hate to see her even have to suffer just a little bit. Please heal her. That's a prayer that Jesus will gladly lend his name to. You are asking selflessly out of love for someone else. If your prayer doesn't have love at its heart, then I sincerely doubt that's how Jesus would pray. Next, I want to show you an example of a group of people who were not praying as Christians, yet still were commanding and making requests in Jesus' name. In Acts 19, we read that God was uh, doing extraordinary miracles through Paul. They were clearly supernatural, and they all glorified God. Then we get to verses 13 to 16. And we see a group of people trying to get in on the action for personal gain. Glory. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? 
Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I gotta tell you, this example sends shivers down my spine. Demons are real, and they are powerful. Nowhere near as powerful as God, of course, but definitely more so than a regular human. And these regular humans were trying to control them by invoking a name that they had no right to invoke. Even just look at how they said their piece. In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, there's nothing personal there. They do not have a relationship with God. They are not Christians. And the demons recognize this and realize that these regular people have no power over them. And they bounce, literally. I can picture this whole scene taking place. The seven sons of Siva confidently are walking around and they come up to a demon-possessed man and say their command. The demon, inhabiting uh, and controlling the man, hears it and thinks, do they have the authority to command me? If this command is actually from Jesus, then I'm toast. I can't read it. But if it isn't, and the demon realizes that it now has the upper hand, it dramatically toys with these mere humans during its brief reply and acknowledges that it knows Jesus and it's even heard of Paul but it does not know these people. It then proves that these people have no authority over it and attacks them as it wields one human versus seven and easily defeats them all. I challenge you not to be lackadaisical with this phrase. It has such power as evidenced by Paul and others who use it and do have authority that Jesus' name gives. And as Spider-Man's Uncle Ben taught us, with great power comes great responsibility. Be purposeful with your prayers and actions. Do and say everything out of love so that it glorifies God. One more thing here. When praying, especially in Jesus' name, don't be afraid to ask for help and forgiveness for yourself. I've given a few examples this morning of asking for things that will help others. And while those prayers are very important, remember that God loves you and wants the best for you as well. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Hello? Okay, we're back. Just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God is just, but he is also loving, and he longs to give us mercy and grace. There are countless examples of it throughout the Bible in individual lives in human history, where God goes out of his way to give mercy and grace. When you need it, note when, not if. 
Don't sheepishly pray feeling down and out because of something you've done or are going through. Know that God loves you and is delighted when you ask for his help. Confidently go to him. Confess your sins. Explain your situation and ask for forgiveness and help. As I'm, I think, still a relatively new dad, I naturally give a lot of examples about my kids. And so here's another one. If my daughter does something bad that would you know, get her in trouble, yet she comes to me and apologizes, I'm not going to give her the cold shoulder and you know, stick to harsh punishment or anything. If I can see that she's repentant and has learned a lesson on her own, I want to show her love. I want to give her mercy and grace. Yes, sometimes I do still need to punish her just to teach her something. But I'm not happy that I have to do that. I am happy when I get to show her love and mercy and grace. And if that's how I feel as a fallen, sinful human, think of how much more so God feels it. I love my daughters with all my heart, but God loves us all infinitely more. Don't forget it. Yes, be repentant and humble when coming to God, but don't beat yourself up. Let him love you and help you. Let's sum everything up then with the words of Timothy Keller from his book, Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. To pray in Jesus' name means to come to God in prayer, consciously trusting in Christ for our salvation and acceptance, and not relying on our own credibility or record. It is, essentially, to reground our relationship with God in the saving work of Jesus over and over again. It also means to recognize your status as a child of God, regardless of your inner state. God our Father is committed to his children's good, as any father would be. So I want to leave you with one thing to remember as an actionable item here. Here it is. Live and pray with vigilance and purpose. It's easy to let something that we do on a day-to-day -day basis drift from importance down to neutral, even if we don't intend to do so. Living a godly life takes work, and a big part of that is simply realizing what's going on around you and how you are reacting to it. So I say it again. Live and pray with vigilance and purpose. Take the time and effort to think about what you are doing and praying and the implications of it. It's something that I need to work on, I know, so that when I end a prayer with in Jesus' name, then I can be sure that I was praying as a Christian. Let's pray. Thank you for this time together, Lord. You are perfect, holy, and just. And you are also incredibly loving, merciful, and gracious. And we praise you for this. Thank you that you delight in us coming to you in prayer. And that you are always here to help, forgive, or even just to listen. Thank you for your words this morning. And please help us to be vigilant and purposeful in how we live and pray. So that we are living our lives as Christ did and bringing you glory. Please give us all conviction to live love for others and you. We can't go wrong if we're doing that. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.